Alleluia, Christ is risen. There's an archaeologist named Simka Yakobovich, who is a film director, a producer, a journalist, and he makes films that attack the Christian faith. <clears throat> and in 2007, he released a film or a documentary um, titled The Lost Tomb of Jesus. And the claim of that film, the very thesis, was that he found the family tomb of Jesus. And he found an ossuary, that is a box that held the bones uh, of Jesus and his wife. And the news spread very quickly. It was all over the news. It was on the internet. It was on the magazines. You, you would go to the stores. Uh, this was in 2007, before everyone had smartphones uh, that connected so quickly to this stuff. But this was everywhere on the news and in the stores. And this was the nail in the coffin, the proof that Christianity was fake and the resurrection, that Easter was a hoax. It is 2023. It has been 16 years since that. Why are you guys in church? <laughs> Why are Christians going to church? What, why are we still meeting together if they found the bones of Jesus? Well, it is because they didn't find the bones of Jesus. Shortly after this uh, film was released, it was all debunked very, very quickly because it was just pure speculation. It was bad archaeology. And in fact, the vast majority, the, va the great, the vast majority of archaeologists not Christian archaeologists, mind you. The vast majority of all archaeologists, even Jewish archaeologists who denied the resurrection of Christ, secular archaeologists who denied the resurrection of Christ, even they said, this is garbage. They said, this is not, this isn't good archaeology. This isn't scientific. This isn't good. So the whole thing, the, the conclusions were unsound and the whole thing was dismissed. The hype of this whole thing deflated when... Uh, the other archaeologists uh, compared and contrasted the work and showed how poorly it was done. <clears throat> now, my purpose today is not to refute this claim because, one, I, I don't have a need to. You're already here, <laughs> so you don't believe it. But two, there are plenty of documentaries. If, if you're kind of shaking in your boots right now or wondering, oh, maybe, maybe this guy has a point. No, there are plenty of documentaries. There are books. There are podcasts. A ton of things that have been released that debunk this and show you why this was just dismissed and nobody took it seriously. So if you want to learn more about that, go and watch them. But the purpose for this sermon is not that. The purpose for this sermon is to point out how Christians in that time responded to the claim that they found the bones of Jesus. So I, I want you to understand the reaction that came uh, as a response to that. So, which again, later turned out to be false. The news said, Jesus' bones found all over the place. How did Christians respond? Well, several Christian pastors and professors and so on responded in the same way. One of them, probably the most notable, is John Crossan. 
Uh, he was a priest, a professor. He's a Christian. Um, he's a Christian, I should say. He said this. <clears throat> this is a direct quote. He goes, If the bones of Jesus were, f- were to be found in an ossuary in Jerusalem tomorrow, and without doubt, let's say that they are definitely agreed to be the bones of Jesus, would that destroy my Christian faith? It certainly would not destroy my Christian faith, he said. Others said, if we have found the bones of Jesus today, I would still be a Christian tomorrow. Uh, I heard, so this was in 2007. This was a year before I went into the seminary, before I started the seminary and started with Greek and all of this stuff. Uh, Before I went, I was traveling and going to other Lutheran churches just to hear what pastors were saying. And as all of this was, uh, you know, buzzing around, I heard one Lutheran pastor say this in a sermon, and I won't forget it. I was 19 years old when I heard this. He said, if this is true, that they found the bones of Jesus, if this is true, we can all still be Christians because the truth is Jesus rose in our hearts. The bottom line is that this discovery would not affect the faith or Christianity of these people. So is it right or wrong? What do we do? Is this the right attitude? This is completely and utterly wrong. It is completely wrong. This, by the way, all of those comments were said by liberal Christians who view the Bible as a myth and not as history anyways to begin with. No, they were not conservative. They don't, any, no conservative or Bible-believing Christian would say such a thing like that. This is not, in fact, how the scriptures speak. The Bible doesn't even talk that way. So we shouldn't talk that way. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says this. He says these words. If, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, your faith is futile. Mataia in the Greek, which means empty, vain, meaningless, worthless. It is useless. A faith like that, that believes that Jesus rose when he didn't, is worthless. There's no point to it. That's what Paul says. And then he says, and you are still in your sins. And those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. That is, they're gone forever. They're never coming back. And if in Christ we have hope in this life only, that is, if Christ is only a thing to get us through this life for some reason, then we are of all people, of all people, most to be pitied. Of all people. Above the poor, above the disabled, above those who are suffering and dying, above them, we are to be pitied more than them because we believe such nonsense. That's how Paul speaks. That's how the Holy Spirit speaks in the Scriptures. The point is this. Christianity isn't true because it is based upon what you believe or what you feel about it. Christianity is true because it is firmly grounded into the historical event of Christ crucified and the tomb that is empty and him risen from the dead and seen and seen by eyewitnesses. That's why. It's not true in your heart. It is true 
period. <laughs> That's it. There's no such thing as true in your heart. The resurrection is not an addendum. It's not like you have Christianity and then you have resurrection and then you can separate the two and you can say, I'll be a Christian without the resurrection. Or I'll believe in the resurrection without being a Christian. It's not an addendum. It is the bedrock of the Christian faith. You have this, you have everything. You don't have this, you have nothing. That's how it works. The truth of Christ's word and all of Christianity rests upon a literal historical resurrection. That is the point. On a man who defeated death. That is what what it's based upon. The central message of the apostles is Christ risen from the dead, that they saw him with their own eyes. They say this all throughout the New Testament. Just read the book of Acts. I I had to cut out a page of my sermon here (laughs) because I had all of the references of of, of the the apostles preaching, saying, uh, speaking of, of Christ and his resurrection and saying, we are witnesses to this thing over and over and over again. It's... It's replete. The scriptures are replete with this. It is the core of their preaching. Christianity doesn't rest on your opinion or wishful thinking. Christianity doesn't even depend upon your faith. Christianity rests and depends solely upon a physical, literal, historical event. The resurrection of Christ from the dead. And of all people, the disciples knew this. They knew it better than anyone. When they say, sorry, when they saw Jesus die, they didn't say, well, you know what, guys? Um, This was a good run, but he lives in my heart. (laughs) Uh, Or, no, (laughs) uh, you know what? We'll just kind of keep on believing this and we'll keep following what Jesus said. No, they were in total and utter despair. It was over for them. That is precisely why they ran away. That is precisely why they went into hiding. That is precisely why they locked the doors in a room that they were in. Why? Because if Jesus is dead, then all of the preaching is in vain. All of the faith is worthless. All of the, there is no such thing as the forgiveness of sins. The dead are gone forever and they are never coming back. And we have no hope in this life. The disciples got this. They knew it. So this brings us to the gospel lesson today. When Thomas saw the risen Christ. This Sunday comes to us in real time, meaning that last Sunday was Jesus' resurrection from the dead. And then in real time, we get the next account, which is today, which is Thomas seeing Jesus. It is in real time. It is in the span of one week, from one Sunday to the next Sunday. A lot of stuff happens during the week from Monday, actually from Sunday all the way to this, this Sunday. Last Sunday, Jesus rose from the dead. The first person to see him is Mary Magdalene, who is a former prostitute. Second to see Jesus are several other women shortly after Mary. Third to see Jesus is Peter, who denied him three times. Fourth to see him are the amazed disciples, who see him on Sunday afternoon. The time is winding down. Fifth, all ten disciples, all ten of them, see Jesus at once in the evening. Everyone except for Judas, who had killed himself, and Thomas, who was not there. I don't know where he was. There are theories, but whatever the case, he wasn't there. By the end of Easter Sunday, by the end of last Sunday, 
All sorts of people saw Jesus independently from one another. So some saw him alone. Some saw him in groups. Some saw him in the day. Some saw him in the afternoon. Some saw him in the evening. Some saw him in various places right at the tomb, outside of the tomb, uh, on the road, in the room, so on and so forth. So there's all this sort of stuff happening, and it is chaotic. It's a lot of people have different stories, and they hear different things. They see him in these different uh, circumstances, and they hear him say different things to them individually. The only person left out in this group right now is Thomas, who hasn't seen anything, he hasn't heard anything, he's alone, he's late. They tell Thomas, finally, all of these people come together, they meet in the upper room, and they say this to him, they, t- they say, Thomas, we have seen the Lord. We've seen him. And then he says this. He says, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never, never believe. Uh, Greek uses two, it's called a double negative and it works in Greek where it's emphasized. Never, it's just never going to happen. I will never believe such a claim. Now, I want you to consider how stubborn Thomas is being here. He's, he's, it sounds reasonable. He's not being reasonable at all, whatsoever. Um, he is doubting the eyewitnesses, his own friends. He has no reason, no reason in the world to doubt them or to dismiss what they're saying. Why, why would they make this up? Why, why, would, why would all of them, independently from one another, make such a thing up? What, what are they going to gain from it? I'll give you an analogy here, and this is a ridiculous example I came up with, <laughs> which is what I usually do. Uh, take, it's a normal Sunday morning like today, and uh, I'm standing by the door greeting people, and one person walks in and says, Hey, Pastor, good to see you. Um, Michael Jordan is in the parking lot. And then I would laugh and say, okay, yeah, all right, you're crazy. Um, and then a second person walks in and he says, uh, a few minutes later, says, hey, pastor, how did you get Michael Jordan to come here today? And then I would uh, be, I, I would be puzzled, like, what, in, what, what is going on? And then a third and fourth person people walk in and they're talking to one another and they say why is why is michael jordan here um is he a lutheran now (laughs) or something Uh, and at this point overhearing that i would I, i would begin to wonder like what's going on now if 12 people 12 of you guys start walking in independently from one another and start saying all the same thing in some way, shape, or form that Michael Jordan is outside, it would be odd of me not to look into that or start to wonder or investigate what's going on and say, look, look, you guys are good. You guys are reasonable people. I've never had a reason to not, not to believe you. Either you are trying to pull off some lame elaborate joke on me or 
Michael Jordan is in the parking lot. Something, something is actually happening that's making you guys say this independently of one another. You're being serious. Whatever the case, it is my job then to look into it. And now my, my stance of, of denying it is now shaky, not, not yours. Um, it would actually be reasonable to try and figure out what you're saying, why you're saying this. Now, if I simply say, now, if I simply say, look, I don't believe you guys. None of this makes sense. All 12, 12 of, tons of people come in saying the same thing. I'm not even going to step outside to look. I'm not even going to consider this. Then you can conclude either that I don't care to find out or two, I don't want to believe that Michael Jordan is in the parking lot for some reason. After so many independent eyewitness and varied reports and accounts saying the same thing, it, it's not gullible of me to believe such a thing. It's actually entirely reasonable for me to believe such a thing, especially coming from you guys. You see this? Thomas was stubborn. He was recalcitrant for, for no reason. He had no reason not to take their word. His closest friends had no reason to lie to him. They have no incentive to make this up, nothing to gain. Even more, those same people had an entire change of character. They were afraid, and then now all of a sudden they have this confidence and this assurance. Hey, he's alive. I'm not worried anymore. And, and I'm telling you, and I'm not ashamed to say this, and I'm okay to walk outside because Jesus lives. That's a big difference. What happened? Thomas still rejects it all. Now, the point I, I want to make is that it's not the eyewitnesses that are being unreasonable, but it is Thomas who is being unreasonable. He will not budge. He rejects the first-hand eyewitness re uh, accounts. Now, <clears throat> last week's sermon and this week's sermon, they go together. It, I've been preaching on the reasonableness of the resurrection and the accounts. This sermon is kind of like a sequel to last week, or the part two to this leap of faith that uh, people ought to take or uh, think they have to take. My point is that we're not taking a blind leap of faith in the dark by believing in the resurrection of Jesus. There is good, solid, reasonable information. The, the church isn't built upon what the disciples believed in their heart or what they felt or what they wanted to be true. The church is built upon what the disciples saw. It is based upon what they heard. What they saw with their eyes and they heard with their ears and they touched with their hands. That is what the church is based upon. That Jesus is alive. We have significantly more eyewitnesses and eyewitness accounts than Thomas had that first week. We have the sum of them all, including Thomas who was recalcitrant and said, I won't believe unless this happens. Well, then it happened. And then he believed. Do you see this? So, so the most stubborn one of them is actually more proof of his resurrection. And yet Thomas still, after getting all of these eyewitnesses, he, he doubts it, he rejects it. <clears throat> and while this was happening, um, and I was preparing for the sermon, I was considering questions or objections to the sermon last week which is kind of uh, what I typically do. And I thought of a great question anticipating this. In case you didn't have a chance to email me about it last week or talk to me, I'm going to bring it up here uh, in anticipation of it to prevent that question. And the question is this. 
If the resurrection of Jesus is historical and reasonable, then where does faith come in? Why do some still reject it if it is entirely reasonable? What is the work of the Holy Spirit then if this is historical and reasonable? Lutherans confess. You open up the catechism and you read the third article of the creed of Dr. Luther's small catechism and it says, I believe that I cannot by my own reason or strength, by my own reason or strength, believe in Jesus or come to him. Why does Thomas doubt? Why doesn't everyone believe? So, pastor, you are talking out of both sides of your mouth. What in the world is going on? On the one hand, you say Christianity is entirely reasonable. And on the other hand, you say we cannot by our own reason believe in Jesus or come to him. So which is it? Which one? The answer is both. Christianity is entirely reasonable. That's a fact. And yet, it is also true that we cannot, by our own reason or strength, find it reasonable. We cannot believe it in this way. So this is what's going on. The human heart, the human heart is stubborn and it is a rock. That is how the scriptures speak of it. Not like a flower that unfolds before the Lord. It is a stone, a rock before the Lord. It is a wily thing. It is deceitful above all things. Anything that the scripture has to say about your heart is not good. And no one can believe in Jesus apart from the intervention of the Holy Spirit. This means evidence. Evidence is not enough to convert the unbelieving heart. Thomas had all the evidence in the world before him. All of it. He, he could go to the tomb and see that the body wasn't there. He could talk to his friends and hear, I saw him. They, he, he could do all of these things. He had all of the evidence. He was there in that very time and in that very place. And he still do, did not believe. He needed nothing more to be told to him. And yet he would not believe it to be true. And where all the evidence in the world was not enough to change Thomas's heart. Jesus does. Be no longer unbelieving, but be believing, is what Jesus says. And that is it. And everything changes. The point is this. God makes Christians. He causes people to believe. He gives them faith. However, when this is very important. So if you haven't been paying attention, pay attention now. When God converts unbelievers into Christians, he is not making reasonable people all of a sudden believe unreasonable things. He is making unreasonable people believe entirely reasonable things. It is not unreasonable to believe that there is a maker who created this world and everything in it. That is entirely reasonable. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. He's turning stubborn, arrogant, slow, closed-minded people to open their minds to clear, plain, and obvious things that are before them. Before closing, I want to consider briefly the words of Jesus here at the very end of the Gospel lesson. 
At the very end of the lesson, he rebukes Thomas, and he tells him this. He says, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. I'm going to make two points only before closing. The first is that Jesus is talking to his disciples about you guys here today. Already. All those years, those thousands of years ago, he, was, he brought you guys up. He was talking to the disciples about you, all of you here today, who believe without having seen a thing. And the second thing is I want to explain what Jesus is saying here. I want you to understand this. He is not saying, when he sees, blessed are you who believe without seeing. He is not saying, if you believe in Jesus without having seen him, then you know what? Good job. I'm proud of you. You did the work. You're smart. I'm going to bless you for it. So that you believe, and then independently, here's this blessing I'm going to throw upon you. He's not saying that. He is saying this. If you believe in Jesus without ever having seen him, but having believed in him by the word of God, having been convinced by the written record of history of the word, then it is because you are blessed. It is because the Holy Spirit has blessed you with faith. He has opened your mind in this way. This faith, the faith that you have in Christ your dear Lord, has come to you as a gift from God. Anyone in the world can investigate these claims of Christianity, but it is, the only, the Holy, it is only the Holy Spirit who will convince you of the truth, of this conclusion. He puts faith in your heart. You do not convert yourself. It is God who converts you. You are not better than the women or Peter or James or Thomas. Rather, you are blessed by your dear Father in heaven who has revealed this to you now with flesh and blood. You're blessed by Jesus Christ. And you're blessed chiefly that he bought you with his, holy, with his holy and precious blood. That he has risen from the dead for you. This is how you're blessed. You're blessed that he justifies you completely by grace. That he absolves you here this day and every single Sunday. He speaks into your ears the words that he spoke. Peace be yours. And that he has bestowed upon you faith through the Holy Spirit. Amen. Alleluia, Christ is risen.